Hey, Founder Fam, before we dive into another incredible conversation, I want to share something really special with you. Whether you're just joining us or you've been following us since the beginning, you've been a critical part of our community working to change entrepreneurial education. I started Founder almost a decade ago with the mission to provide entrepreneurs access to the world's greatest business leaders. Our goal was to break down barriers to entrepreneurial education, and that's taken us on a journey from Founder Magazine to this podcast and beyond, and today marks the next step in that journey, Founder Plus. I'm proud to introduce you to Founder Plus, which is an all-access pass to each of our online courses and programs and their proven frameworks for success. It puts every strategy we've compiled from world-class instructors at your fingertips while connecting you to a global network of like-minded entrepreneurs. Founder Plus will take your business to the next level for today and tomorrow. So whether you've just joined our family or you've watched us grow from humble beginnings, we're really thrilled to have you join us in this exciting new phase of making the Founder brand and this company the world's best entrepreneurial community to launch and grow your business. So finally, before we get into today's episode, I'm inviting you to come back check out Founder Plus and go to founder.com forward slash membership. I'm really excited, guys. This is an incredible new evolution of entrepreneurial education. And our mission is really to get as many of these founders that we interview to teach and also give back on the Founder Plus platform and really go more in depth with the knowledge and the experiences and the lessons learned that they're sharing all in Founder Plus. So guys, please go check it out if you're enjoying these interviews. That's it from me. I hope you enjoy this episode. Now let's jump in. What you need is thirst. You need to be a thirsty human. Who is intent on learning. It's a really fascinating fascinating exploration of human potential. Now. 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 The Founder Podcast. Even the greatest entrepreneurs had help. If you want to learn from the most successful founders on the planet, you are in the right place. Branson, Mark Cuban, Tony Robbins, Tim Ferriss, Ariana Huffington, Steve Case, Gary Vee, Sophia Amoroso, Robert Corcoran, Damon John. Learn from the greatest minds in business today with interviews hosted by Nathan Chan. This is not your average entrepreneur podcast. The Founder Podcast. The first question that I ask everyone that comes on is, how did you get your job, aka how'd you find yourself, how'd you guys find yourself doing the work you're doing today? We met, we weren't, we hadn't made any uh, type of media together, but we met working as programmers. Um, around that time, I was like doing stand-up and I was kind of like a self-taught uh, programmer and Cody was a professional iOS developer. And um we ended up working together at a company called Fullscreen, which was also a startup. Um, it was pretty mature at that point, though. And uh, yeah, um, that's kind of where our uh, careers together started. Yeah, so we started making videos together because I think like both of us were creative people and wanted to do stuff outside of um, just like software programming. So we would meet up after work, make make videos together, and then we would make shit on our own. And um, we were able to build an audience that way to the point where we could then do it full time. And then from there, you know, we just challenged ourselves to, you know, evolve. So basically we went from making YouTube videos to, or making Vines to making YouTube videos, to making podcasts, to making music, to then touring the world and doing live shows everywhere. And then most recently starting TMG Studios together. So it's been, but this it's been all, a journey. It's been a lot of stuff, you know, up to now. Um, but yeah. Yeah, this all started with um, like, so I was, you know, I was on Vine. Cody was on Vine. And the story is that we, Cody had found my account. And really at that time I was like a, I was very unknown. I think I had maybe like 80,000 followers. I think Cody had 5 million. And uh, someone actually messaged me and they were like, dude, Cody Co. follows you. And I, and I, I didn't have an Instagram. Like this Vine was like my first social media, really. So I'm like, who is Cody Co.? And so I had to go like, look it up. And I'm like, oh, damn, this guy's massive. 
And then like, this guy sucks. <laughs> <laughs> and then like, you know, then a couple months later, um, I'm working at full screen and, uh, the engineering floor was completely full. You know, there's no, there's no real turnover. And one developer had quit. And some weeks later, Cody walks in the door and he sits right in front of me. Um, and our media creation like started like on our lunch breaks. So right around the time Vine was dying, Cody was kind of ideating, okay, how do I kind of like move this audience over? Um, and I was like making sketch comedy on my YouTube channel. So Cody's like, all right, I'm going to experiment with like kind of like the other more, uh, uh, I don't know, like the spread of formats on YouTube. And so we would start vlogging. And so you can actually go back and see us looking corny as hell in our early um, engineering careers, uh, messing around on our lunch breaks. Mm. And what, what was your first video that popped like you two as a duo that made you go, oh yeah, we're <laughs> onto something. It I don't was, know if this is um, going to be appropriate for your audience, but <laughs> we know exactly yeah, what it is. I don't, yeah, know, yeah, yeah. I don't know if, it, if we should necessarily be talking about it. No, no, no. We can say, um, we, say we, we, we noticed that the like reactionary format was something that people liked. So we found kind of a controversial video on Twitter and we can just kind of leave it at that. And um, uh, Cody was like, well, why don't we try the reaction format like uh, to this thing? And so we're like, sure. So literally after work, if you go look it up, it's just us two after work, just kind of shooting jokes on this video. And that was like the birth of um, like one of our biggest series on YouTube, which is uh, That's Cringe. And did you guys ever think it, you, you, would, you would make it this big or did you always know deep down or you just kind of go with the flow or? I think... I mean, I think the right answer to that is like, you never really know what's going to happen, but I think we were like willing to keep going until something did happen. Yeah. And I also think like, you know, at a certain point we, like I, I had to, I'm Canadian, so I had to get a visa specifically for content creation. Once I applied for that, I kind of knew like I had to make it work. And uh, so, and then, yeah, I feel like Noel was in a similar position where like when we started our podcast, it was literally like we we both need an income from this. So like we have to do this strategically and it and we have to make this work, basically do all things necessary. So um, I think that attitude, though, is what has really worked for us and in, in continuing to be successful, I guess, is, is just like continuing to, um, you know, harbor that that mindset that we haven't made it yet. Like we're still trying to, you know. Yeah, I think you always hope that um, obviously some you always hope for success, but I think we never I don't think at any point really took it for granted. We always knew that it's something like we have to work at. And um, yeah, so, yeah. One thing that I found really interesting is I read this statistic uh, around kind of young kids and one in four or maybe one in three want to be a creator now or, or a professional YouTuber. And the reason I share that is because more than ever now, people want to be full-time creators. And there are people that just have been grinding at it for a long time, you know, just as long as you guys, but they haven't really kind of built a, an audience, a community uh, with the levels of engagement, with the levels of influence and attention that you guys have. What do you think sets people apart? If you could, if you could share any advice for any up and coming creators or creators that have been going at it for a while and it's not, it's not where they want it to be. They're not even, you know, they're not working on this full time. It's yeah. I think I have a good answer to this. I think I like the first thing I would say is keep going. Like I think history tends to favor those that just like continue to try. But that being said, I would also pair that with you can't do the same thing over and over again and expect different results. So if what you're doing isn't working, like iterate and figure out, figure out your voice that resonates with people. I think that's important. I think we've managed to do that. Yeah. And I think something that's important to know is, um, uh, it's like a phrase that it's not my phrase. Like I've heard many people use it, but I think it's super important to understand it's that the people choose. So you can't choose to be, famous you can't choose to be liked um people decide that and then they they may tell others and so on and so forth so 
Um, I think it's important to be like authentic to yourself, but not uh, so like, I think I would say if, if you've been doing the same thing for a while and it's not building a sense of connection or people don't relate to it, maybe functionally it breaks down to a couple things. Like maybe it's the way you produce it. Maybe you should look at some of your peers and people in that space who do it well and maybe try to see versus what you're, what you aren't doing or, or try to identify like what it is that people want to see from maybe a certain topic or a certain, I don't know, person that represents something. Um, but then outside of that, I think you shouldn't do what you think you should be doing. People can sniff that out right away. I think you should always be pursuing something you actually care about. Um, Cause that's, I think above all what people really gravitate to is like true, genuine interest. And for you guys, did you guys ever have any doubts in the early days if it was going to work or you just always knew? Uh, we for sure, we for sure yeah. had doubts, definitely. I mean, like, like anything, you know, being a creator is like this, you know, on the way up, there's just like, you know, peaks and valleys and peaks and valleys. So there's always those like periods of, oh, we're fucking up. Things aren't going well anymore. And then it's just like powering through those and continuing to work hard and not let it get to you. Um, but, you know, in the beginning, those were especially obvious, I feel like, because we were in a place where it's like we needed an income. Um, so I definitely like at the start of any new venture, I think is scary. And I think it should be. Especially in entertainment. It's um, you don't you don't know, like entertainment is the least linear, um, I guess, I hate to put it this way, but like a product, like if you're selling a product, you're selling a service, it's trying to solve a problem and it's trying to deliver something entertainment. It's massively subjective. So you can't quantify what it is people like about what you're doing because in reality, people can like you for a lot of different reasons. So getting a lot of attention is scary because you don't actually know what it is that they like about what you're doing. And so you're kind of having to figure that out as you evolve, um, which is something I think that's always uh, always been important to us. But yeah, in those beginning stages, it's very scary because we're doing well, but we don't fully understand the audience yet. So it's ev every move is kind of feeling like, I think they will like this. I think this will continue to make us successful. And so I think you feel the pressure just a little bit more. Mm. It's funny you say that because it is it is still an iterative process though. Like you guys are looking at the numbers. Like how deep are you guys going on the numbers and the data? Like you you, you know Mr. Beast, right? Like supposedly he's manic obsessive with the numbers and the data and <laughs> like like yeah. Were you guys always like that in the early days? I mean, or, yeah, like like how do you understand your audience and what they like? Is it you know it's it's the is it how deep do you go? Well, I don't think we go as hard as Mr. Beast. I don't think anyone really does but i think we're both programmers so we definitely i mean i think i feel like i more than noel really like looking at numbers and looking at data it's like i i feel like it i speak the same language as the data like it just helps me you know absorb the info um but like like we used to say when we went on tour and we were in a, a room full of like a thousand people like watching us on stage like that will always feel different and way better than a number on a screen does so you know as much as you as much as you try to quantify it you never really can shed like a, a full broad spectrum perspective on like what it actually is and i think like i think this kind of comes down to you know i i think it, there's there's something important to identify there which is i think cody and i would just try to stick to like pure comedy and what feels funny to us. And that that's purely a feeling. And um, you can reflect your personality and data a little bit, right? Like, oh, when we make these types of jokes, it seems to resonate with people. So maybe we can kind of hammer down on that. Um, and so I think we do look at the numbers, but, you know, with a grain of salt, because um, sometimes we think it's fun to do stuff that maybe the audience doesn't favor, but it is overall, it is funny. And it's something that they can come to appreciate later. Like, you know, uh, like yesterday we started our podcast and I thought it'd be funny if we just started like screaming like loud because a podcast is supposed to be like soothing and calm. And 
you know, it's like little things like that. Like maybe the data would tell you don't do things to burn retention, but you know, so I think our goals are just, um, they're not so data oriented. We're, we're always trying to value, like, I think what's, what's entertaining. Yeah. And when it comes to monetization, you said, you guys said you had to make it work. What are some mistakes that you made in the early days that you could share with our community around monetizing content or monetizing your, your personal brand as a creator? I think monetization is, is really interesting because when Cody and I started, I would actually say, um, I don't know, Cody, if you feel this way, but it actually wasn't so clear and cut as to how you monetize. Um, in that period, there were just ideas and like sort of tried a small amount of tried and true things, which was like merchandise, um, AdSense. And then right around that time, people were definitely starting to pay more attention to things like Patreon. So it didn't seem like there were a ton of ways to really monetize what you were doing. So obviously we kind of went with those things, but I think to someone listening to this, if you have like a newer product or a newer venture, I think merchandise is the thing that people go to as a, like a, an immediate way to monetize something. But I actually think um, with the way things are now, I think you actually want to focus on like building that relationship with your audience and figuring out what it is they like about you and how they want to support you. Versus before when Cody and I were getting started, I think it was a bit more um, rinse, repeat, like do merch, collect AdSense, and then maybe you do subscription. Yeah. And I, I will say, I'll piggyback on that and just say, like, I think that people are still figuring it out. Like, as are we, Yeah. like, I know yeah. some of the biggest YouTube channels are still figuring out like, oh man, if we, we found out last month, if we cut up our stuff and put it on Facebook, we can double our revenue. So like, there's so many unknowns still in yeah. this, like in the creator economy, um, that I think it's a learning process. And from, from the beginning for us, it was just like, a, we want to make great stuff that people like, and then, you know, B, we got to figure out how to make money from it. And that is still, that was a learning process and it still is. And when it comes to your work, what people, what don't people know that happens behind the scenes? Uh, I think, I think, uh, what's, I actually feel like people have come to see, like, um, if you're making stuff on the internet, they understand that, uh, you, you kind of have to have your vision on like a lot of different aspects of what you're doing, but I'd say the biggest thing is we wear a lot of different hats, like at all times. Um, and to this day, we still get pretty granular. Like every week, you know, uh, we're still approving thumbnails. We're still, um, uh, you know, hey, this segment feels kind of boring or, um, you know, let's let's trim that out. So it's like uh, and then, you know, we have to hop over to the business side and, and um, kind of get high level and go, hey, for the network, we, we think we want to angle this direction in terms of subject matter and types of shows we want to bring to the platform. So um, it's like a really broad spectrum of work that we're doing on a daily basis. And um, it's it's hard to quantify and some of it nuanced, some of it isn't. But I would say that's the biggest thing is when we record for the two hours, it'd be awesome if that's all it was, but it's not. <laughs> Yeah, that that and also like the the team, the teams that we have also like, yeah, you know, make a lot of the magic happen as well. So like, I think that's something that people sometimes don't realize, like when they see someone that they like posting super often is they don't see like the infrastructure behind it that allows you to do that, because it's a really tough thing to create content like, I guess, at the length that we do, like we put out like hours a week now. So it's just. Like we have really, really great teams that make that happen that we're very grateful for. And I think that's something when you see us every day on your screen, it's just, oh, that's them doing it. But it's also like the people behind us and the infrastructure that we built as well. So I think that's important to know. Yeah, I'd say all together, I think between me and Cody's individual um, endeavors and then the TMG endeavor, I'd say it's probably a good like 30 to 35 people that are facilitating all that. Um, and they do an amazing job. All right. So let's talk about the network model. So after 2020, uh, you guys started to add talent, move into a studio. Can you talk us through that decision and also how you've scaled that out? Because I think that's a really interesting model. And really the, the main reason we wanted to speak to you guys. Yeah, we, we kind of yeah. made a conscious decision like 
um, a few years ago, you know, our podcast had been going well. When we started our podcast, it was just us. Like we were doing everything. Like, you know, we were buying the gear. We were doing post or pre-production, you know, filming it ourselves and then doing all the post-production ourselves and then all the channel management ourselves and everything. And I'm grateful that we did that because, you know, it taught us how to make a great show from the ground up. So we knew the ins and outs of what it takes to do that. And then along the way, we started hiring people. And then we made a conscious decision where we were like, you know, instead of at the end of the year, kind of taking the money that we made as a dividend, let's let's try and reinvest it back into the company and build this thing so that it can outlast us. And I think it was, I think it kind of goes hand in hand in what I was saying before, where like we like to challenge ourselves and l- figure out what's next because it's I think it's good for personal growth, but also like career growth, like we did with you know podcasts and music and live shows and everything. This was kind of it kind of seemed like this was the next frontier for us. I think we both felt felt that naturally. It was like, well, let's start a business together um, and treat yeah, it like I, a I business. Think like, yeah, yeah. I think a distinct point for that was. Um, our show had been growing a ton. Um, I think we were like consistently in the top, I don't know, 15 Patreons um, for months. And we had up until that point, we were just kind of like two guys talking to each other. And we inevitably landed on like, okay, we should maybe start to portion out some of this work and kind of take the load off of ourselves because we wanted to, you know, still have freedom to be creative you know, together and, and individually. And so um, we hired an editor and our first producer. Um, and it was right around that time where we were kind of noticing things and we were kind of kicking around ideas. And I noticed that we were running into this thing where we would kind of talk about subjects, but we wouldn't maybe nail the personal subjects that we were really keen on. Like at the time I was still like an avid mixed martial arts fan and people liked when I talked about that. So I said, oh, what if we created a tier on the Patreon and we kind of start producing different segments? And then I very distinctly remember Cody saying, Oh, like a network. And I go, yeah. And, um, so we kind of like kicked around that idea. Then it just kind of like tabled for a bit. And then we really wanted that next jump. So when we decided to move into our studio, um, it was around that time where we were like, okay, let's go full beans. Let's do this network thing. Um, Let's take everything we've learned and start to build something where, because our, our audience had grown so much, we understood that they have a lot of different interests. So we're like, can we can we give them all these different facets of who they are as they're growing um, through like the TMG kind of vision? And then when it came to, to working with talent, how did you, how, how do you identify talent? We just want to work with people that are talented that also resonate with our audience. Like that's the... I think that's the number one important thing when you're building a network is, um, you know, putting people in front of them that they will also enjoy and that resonate with them. I think that's, you know, that's what we've been really good at is being able to like stay within our lane at, the, at least at the be- at least at the beginning. I feel like it's something in the future we can kind of broaden our horizons in terms of what types we show of shows we create. But I think for the time being, it's like working with people that we love that are really great at their craft that our audience also loves. And when you, as you guys have started to build out the network, um, have you partnered with any partnered or brought in operational help and, and how, how soon did you do that? Like I look at the Nelk boys and the, you know, the partnership they did with the Shahidi brothers and I, you, you clearly saw their rise when they could just kind of work with people that, handed a lot of the operations and the business day to day. And then they just focused more on doing the creative side and Kyle, you know, behind the scenes would be looking for talent and found more talent and introduced different personalities and stuff like that. I'm just curious, have, have you guys got, uh, at, where, at what point in time did you identify or recognize you needed operational help on that side and, and start to build that out? Was that before the network? Was it during, was it? It's definitely during like in the, in the beginnings of it yeah when it kind of got too much for us to handle it was sort of a natural yeah. progression for us to hire someone a little bit more senior so i want to shout out ryan right now who's on this call he's definitely helped us build out you know operationally um a lot of our infrastructure in that way and then also our agents as well have really helped us in terms of like identifying talent and helping assign talent so 
is definitely something that we are still focus on us individually, but we don't, we also have a lot of stuff going on outside of TMG studios. So we have to like, you know, divvy up our time strategically and they've helped us do that. What do you guys like? What do you guys prefer? If you guys could, if you guys could, would you just make content all day or you prefer the business side? I, I, I mean, like I personally, I love, um, I love creative direction and I love, um, building a voice and, um, like, you know, crafting an identity for something. And, um, that's a lot of the work I, I definitely do at TMG. Um, and so I don't think just straight making videos and making media, um, uh, yeah, it's tough. I, I, I really love like the blend of the two. I love being able to wear different hats and work in different disciplines. Um, yeah, I'm smiling because I think we both like just being busy and I feel like, yeah. So I feel like it it works well for us to do both. Yeah. Because I think both of us just like learning about new things and mm. figuring out new problems. And that's what doing both allows us to do, like creatively yeah. and business-wise. Hey, guys, I hope you're enjoying this episode and learning a ton. As you know, in this series, we interview some of the greatest founders of our generation to find out how they did it. However, if you're thinking of starting your own business and you want to hear from some incredible stories from everyday people like you or I who are actually in the trenches, only been building their business for maybe one year or two years, like that are building right now and they're really in the early stages, but they're getting success, you should come and check out our new podcast from Zero to Founder, hosted by our community manager, Molly Flynn. These are in the trenches stories from our very own successful students that have gone through some of our programs. People just like you who are deep within the process of building their very own successful business. These are the founders of tomorrow. You can find the From Zero to Founder podcast on all platforms. And remember, it's founder without the E. All right, now let's jump in the show. I also heard there's a story that you guys got to share with me uh, around you partying with Elon Musk. Tell us about that. <laughs> it was very short-lived. We, um, it was our first time meeting Post Malone, and um, he invited us to meet him at a, uh, a bar in Hollywood. Uh, it's called the Rainbow Bar. And Rainbow Room. We're kind of hanging out. Rain- or, uh, I've heard it referred to both ways. But oh, okay. Maybe it's not Rainbow Room. I don't know. Either way, um, we go there and uh, we meet Post. We meet some of his friends. Uh, we meet his manager, uh, Dre, and uh, some other folks. And we're all kind of hanging out. And, and I think it's like right around 2 in the morning, Post looks at us and he goes, you want to go to Elon's house? And we laugh and we go, sure. Um, and so we go to Elon's house, uh, I guess one of his houses. And at this time, he's still, he was dating Grimes. So we we go, you know, we're in their place. Um, and it's just, it's very odd. It's just like us, Post, his folks, and then Elon, like he's literally just right there. And we didn't say much to him outside of hey and um at some point we felt it was time for us to go you know it was like <laughs> five in the morning we're like, we were like sitting in the middle i feel like it was like elon's trying to talk to post because that's who he invited over and we were just in the middle just like kind of like yeah totally just like why the yeah. fuck are we here and i think we ended up leaving yeah. at like 3 a.m or something Right? I thought it was later, but either way. Oh, yeah, maybe it was 4 a.m. I don't know. It was late, but it was like a weekday, think, and we were like, our fucking girlfriends are waiting for us. We, <laughs> we got to leave. <laughs> yeah. It was, it was like 4 in the morning. And then um, uh, the funniest part is as we were, we, we didn't know how the hell to get out of there. So when we were trying to leave, Cody's like, I'm going to ask where the, where the front door is, which is, that's how crazy this house was. You don't know where the front door is. And, um, he Cody walks into the kitchen and he just catches Elon and Grimes like making out with each other. And Cody's like, I think we'll just figure it out. We're, I'm just, yeah. just going to head out. Yep. Talk to me around kind of, um, I know some people will find this interesting. How far ahead are you guys when it comes to your, you know, pipeline and content creation? Do you guys do stuff on the fly constantly? Like how does all that work? Cause you put out a lot of stuff. 
I, I'd say like I, I think a lot of I don't know some people like are batch recording and will like are like months you know ahead of their posting schedule I think we're like the complete opposite our production pipeline for our podcast is one day so we record and it comes out the next day and uh, yeah. then personally for our individual stuff it's kind of the same we're pretty we're pretty nimble when it comes to um content but i think you kind of have to be in our in the lane that we're in like it's yeah. good to it's better to be like more topical i feel like um so yeah yeah i think we i think something that feels better to us too is like keeping whatever we're making like authentic to who we are at, at that point in time um and it, that's something i care about a lot too is like as of recent i'm like working on stuff that's taking a little bit longer to put together and when I go back and watch it, I feel weird because I'm like, oh, I I feel like I've even learned so much in the last couple of months. Like looking at this feels so odd. Um, but yeah, I, I, yeah, we are the dead opposite. We we like uh, real time, quick turnarounds. And when it comes to the numbers in terms of views, do you guys have strong emotional attachments to those view numbers? If they don't hit a certain number, it gets you down. It hurts. It's like a you know punch the gut like like you beat yourself up but like talk to me about that because i hear or i've seen creators talk about this do you guys experience that i will say you you'll probably hear this from other youtubers that like the feeling of a one out of ten is like that's a special feeling that happens pretty rarely <laughs> nowadays <laughs> like i feel like you'll hear that same sentiment from a lot of people is like oh i'm two out of ten today i'm like one out of ten because the YouTube analytics like gives you your like how your video is performing compared to the last 10. So if you get yeah. a one out of 10, it means you've like knocked it out of the park, right? So like on one hand, we still look for those. Obviously, when we get one, it feels good. But on the other hand, like content is just like everyone posts so much nowadays. It's so like free flowing and constant that it kind of feels like it's just part of the game and people realize that now. Some episodes yeah. just get less views. Um, I feel like it was more performance was individual episode performance was like more of a metric that was focused on in the past. Now it's more of like just how many people are aware of you and what you're doing, you know? Yeah. I also think that um, all the short form performance metrics have like really skewed people's perceptions. Like I don't actually think it's normal to have media viewed by millions of people every single time you upload that's like kind of crazy interesting so you guys aren't tough on yourself really like it doesn't it doesn't affect you and you like it's it's not that level of obsession no i mean it definitely it it stinks like when you upload something and it does nine out of ten you're like Ugh. but yeah it like it's more of like a on to the next one type of thing yeah right that's how we've learned and i think like anyone gets to that point too like we've been doing it now for like 10 years so it's like it's like when it happens it's still like ah fuck like i worked hard on that one okay let's figure out what what happened let's let's make it better on the next one you know i know we're talking a lot here but i think for anyone listening to this i think something that cody and i have benefited from is attrition we've been in this a long time and i think we've learned to not be hard on our hard on yourself um because again, like history, like Cody's pointing out, history favors those who continue. So rather than getting caught up in, ah, I messed up this one time, there's plenty of opportunity to like keep pushing. So yeah. yeah. And what's your most craziest, most viewed piece of content to date across the network? I think it would probably be Girl Defined, honestly. That, that video to this day has probably been memed to the most amount of times out of anything we've done. And it's still, it's like, we still get people to today. I think that was like six, like set six, seven years ago. And still people yeah. come up to us and they're like the girl defined video. I watch that every day. <laughs> I think, I think honestly, it's like, uh, it's this hilarious thing where there are people who maybe just got into college that are just discovering that video. And they may flag us down in public or I may do a show and they, I may walk out of the venue and they're like, dude, that girl defined video is so funny. That's how I found you. And I always laugh. Cause I'm like, 
I'm such a, we are such different people from when that thing was made. I know. And like, I laugh because I'm like, you have like seven years of media to catch up on, <laughs> but I, but I appreciate it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, I appreciate it for sure. I do. I think, I think like we sometimes like meme on ourselves because, you know, like the stuff you do, you kind the stuff you do in the past, you kind of always have to cringe on because if you're growing and learning and developing and stuff like that, it's like, you kind of always have to look at yourself in the past. Like, what are you, what were you doing? So we like to meme yeah. on ourselves, but we're definitely still appreciative of people that watch that series and, and like it. And a lot of people are like, it did something for me, you know, like those were the best videos ever. And so we appreciate that. Yeah. I think that's a yeah. rite of passage, right? Like if you look back on your work 10 years ago, <laughs> you're embarrassed. Like I, I looked at like funny yeah. enough, on the weekend, I found like my first ever video interview with the shittiest camera. It was just a joke, and the person, and yeah, yeah, it was bad. It was bad. Yeah, and you're like, you're like, what the fuck were we doing? Yeah, like I don't think we'd ever. Yeah, I don't know, but yeah, I'm I'm happy they still exist, and I'm happy people enjoy them. When it comes to working with a brand or a business that you guys partner yeah. with, what do you look for and why? Huge sacks of gold coins. <laughs> Money. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> I think something I think something you'll hear echoed again from a lot of YouTubers is like when they work with buried brand. treasure. That's what YouTubers say. Buried Money. treasure. Money. We want to they... <laughs> Yeah, no, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. They want like a brand to let them be them. And I yeah. think like that's the ones that the partnerships that we most like doing is when people understand our like comedy and our sense of humor and our brand and kind of let that shine. Yeah. Like we've done a lot yeah. of, we've done a lot of them that don't do that. And those are always yeah. like the most miserable experiences, but then the ones are our most fond ones are the ones where we get to like create stuff that we're actually proud of. Like we did a, we did like a series of videos with eBay that we like self-produced and they kind of just like let us do their thing. They gave us like, you know, their concepts and what their like brand points were, but we got to just like go to town and when we did and we were happy with those, how those turned out. So I think like those are always the best partnerships. We actually remember that partnership like pretty fondly um, because I would say of all the ones we've done, that was like, that was one where not only did they, um, let us be ourselves, but like they gave us the budget to do it. Like they were like, there's literally like carte blanche world's your oyster. And, um, for like a huge brand like that to just fully trust whatever we wanted to do. That's always like, um, been the gold standard for us since then. Yeah, that's cool. Um, yeah, look, I think, uh, it's, it's an interesting one because, you know, I remember when we spoke to the D'Amelios, they they talked to the Demio family. They they talked to kind of like the what are they known for? You know, they're people always you know they're really passionate about shoes. They create their own shoe shoe, shoe wear label, right? Like, um, so it comes back to like what what are what are they known for? What are, what are they really passionate about? And how can that integrate natively with your content? And that brings me to my next question: Is um, do you guys foresee getting into physical products or getting in, you talked about you used to do, you know, merch and stuff like that, but actually creating or looking for uh, a physical product or anything that you would look to sell uh, that's non-digital besides merch? We've had a lot of like ideas. We're kind of working on one right now. Um, but I think a big, a big thing for us in that regard is I think we, want it to be something that like we actually care about and um we feel some connection to um so we just we've had a lot of those conversations but we've not landed on anything until recently where we're like yeah you know like this is something we really um believe in and that's also due in part to the fact that we've really been focused on building our like building the network um because developing like a physical product is a lot of work in and of itself and um, you know, I think what we really understand is like creating media. And, uh, so, um, yeah, kind of goes hand in hand, but yeah, I don't know, Cody, if you want to add to that, but yeah, so I would just say it's kind of hard to find like a comedy adjacent product that like fits really naturally. Like, I think like other genres of content, it's much easier to identify products that people want. Cause in the end of the day, it has to be something that people want. 
And yeah. so if you're making cooking content, it's like you like the amount of products you do is kind of it's just like teed up for you pans and cookbooks and all that stuff, right? Because people want to buy that stuff with comedy. There's not really any adjacent products that people are looking for. They just want to be entertained. So for the last couple of years, it's been like, well, comedy is our product then. And let's figure out how to bring more comedy and more entertainment to people, you know, yeah. via talent that want to do those, do that. Um, so I think like, yeah, like if we do release something, which we've spitballed on some things and something recently that we're, that we're pretty excited about, like it will be something that still has comedy and like our, our voice ingrained in it. Yeah. I respect that because with the size of your audience, any, any, anything that you guys put out, people will buy, right? Like you will get sales. It's, but it's, it's how does it resonate with your brand and how does it, how is it something that you guys are passionate about? And actually, like you said, solves a problem. I think you'd be yeah. surprised on how much people will not buy things they don't want. <laughs> that too. Like, I think if you're Mr. Beast, people will buy whatever he's putting out because it's, he's at the, he's at like the scale where that's true. But like, I think for everyone else, it's kind of like if you put out a shitty product, people are smarter. People are generally smarter than that. You know, if they see that it's shitty or it's not genuine, they're not going to buy it. And I've, we've seen that firsthand. Like we've re released a lot of merch and stuff like that. Sometimes that doesn't work because it's just like we didn't, you know, it doesn't, didn't hit the right notes for people. So I yep. think it is a pretty fragile thing. That's interesting. Even with the relationships at scale that you guys have with your audience, the people that watch your videos, like my brother, every single week, like people wouldn't just buy to support or buy because they like have that relationship with you guys. That's interesting. I don't think so. I think yeah, we no. put out like something that we don't, that's clearly not us. You know, like if we put out like a, I don't know if me and him put out a, like a, book of shoe. music or something or uh, what'd you say <laughs> a shoe I, don't, I think people would buy a shoe you think i'm thinking yeah. like something that's totally not connected to us at all like of like a fucking garden hoe or something like that yeah, yeah would people yeah, buy yeah. that they'd be like that's weird why would you you guys aren't like home improvement guys why would you come out with like a lawnmower yeah. i'm not gonna buy that also when you're doing comedy like obviously you're making fun of things and that means your audience in turn gets to make fun of you. So there's also, if you put out some something bunk or like something mid, they're going to say it. Like they're going to be like, yo, this sucks. <laughs> no, that's very true. Try again. That's very true. So you guys get rinsed a lot. Um, I mean, yeah. yeah Cause I like, did, like, I didn't we, think people we, keep us in check. Yeah. We give it, they, t we take it. You know, sometimes we don't take it. Sometimes we, we get in our feelings. You know, it's all, it's all everywhere. What's been the craziest experience you've had where you've had a fan come up to you guys? I'd love to hear from individually each of you. I got one, but I've said it before, but. Which one? Do you want the, 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 uh, te the girl in Texas? Oh, yeah. I will vote one. <laughs> oh, I've said that publicly like many times now. No, 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 no. It's just, I, this is very funny. I, I just don't know if this is like where we can talk about that. How explicit can we be? It's an open form. Okay, okay. So this, it's this not that crazy. Keep, it's not that crazy. It's not that, it's not that yeah, crazy. Okay, okay. This, 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 like, this woman, like, was waiting in line for us to, to meet us because we did a meet and greet before one of our shows. And, uh, she was the last in line. And she came up to us and she was like, I have a gift for you. And she gave us a DVD and we looked at it and it was, it was like, it was called big busty milfs five or something like that. And on the, on the front of it was just like hardcore pornography. And she pointed at the girl on the cover and was like, that's me. I'm a big busty milf. And we were like, Whoa. And she was like, this is to watch with your girlfriends later. And we were like, thank you. We're going to definitely do that with them for sure. We're going to all have a family watching of this DVD later in the green room. Wow. And you know, it's really funny. Full circle is I was in Las Vegas uh, with a, a buddy of ours that I make a show with on our network. A super talented animator, Meet Canyon. I'm with him in Las Vegas and we're standing outside the front of a hotel. It's like three in the afternoon. A taxi pulls up. A woman hops out. And she's walking into the casino and she goes, Noel, hey, how are you? 
And no I turned way. Her was it like, her? Yes. I'm like, excuse no me. No way, like, dude. No way. She, I thought I told you this. She goes, big no, you- milf. And I, and I go, <laughs> oh, what's cracking? And she's like, good to see you. And she just walks right into the hotel. Dude, I had no idea. That's so Hilarious. funny. It's so funny getting confirmation because like, I tell that story and I'm like, am I, was it called, I, I got, I'm like, was it called Big Busty Milf? Am I making that Something up? Like it's that. nice to Something have like, confer- that, yeah. like confirmation that that did happen. Yeah. Because it's just so outlandish. It's like, did it happen? You know, but it did. What I think was even funnier is she didn't even stop to like, it's just like, she, I, I, she's from, I thought she was from Texas. Like what the hell is she doing there? Didn't explain anything. Just like, hey, how are you? And she kept it pushing. She didn't give you the sixth DVD? Like maybe? No, 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 no. Damn. There you go. All right, what a story. Thanks for sharing, boys. Yeah. All right. We're sure. going to move to the hot seat and then we'll wrap and let you go. Uh-oh. Hot seat. Rapid fire questions and answers. These, these are easy ones. All right. Uh, who makes the other laugh the most? <laughs> it's me. I think it's me. I think it's me. I think it's me i think it's me what'd you say i, I think it's I, me me not me i think it's me who it's me no i think it's me that's me nathan the answer is me you can you can so let's delete that last little bit of the recording and just write me editor editor cut that out let's make a note yeah, let's make a note here. right now let's cut make out a note right now. right now we're gonna make me. a note right now right right now it's me yeah, okay. So just com- confirmation that it's me. When Cody says it's me, he's talking about me, so it's me. Oh, uh, you're breaking up, dude. Can't hear you. Sorry. I think it's me. Anyways, yeah, it's me. So next question, <laughs> next question. All right. <laughs> How do you respond to change? Change in like what respect? In general? Well, it's tough because as the guy who makes the other guy laugh the most, um, <laughs> I kind of have to be super adaptive. So, you know. Uh, no, no, and, and honestly, the thing is, like, the point at which that changed when I started making you laugh more, that was a really positive thing for me. So I would say, like, whoa. positive generally is how we react to that. And then it changed back to me because it's me. So, <laughs> <laughs> no, honestly, I mean, like, I, I guess since Vine, you know, we've seen like a lot of different eras of, I don't know, entertainment. Uh, especially on the internet. And so, yeah, I think it's about, honestly, I think we're always mentally um, in the headspace that things can change and we don't get too married to what we're doing now. Um, We just, uh, I think through it all, we just try to be authentic and then reflect that onto what people are looking for as time goes on. What inspires you to be creative? Um, um, I think it's just, uh, this like, it's like built into us at least. I don't know. I feel like an innate desire to do it. If I don't do it, I don't feel whole. Yeah, I think, um, I think we're super lucky to be in a situation where we get to be creative, uh, as like a job. So I kind of take that as like, that's what I'm paid to do. So I just try to like, keep that going. But yeah, yeah, I think it's just something that we both are naturally kind of oriented towards. It's, um, it's hard to not, uh, kind of come up with ideas and things and try to execute them. What are you both excited for next? I'm having a kid. So I'm pretty excited for that. <laughs> Do you mean like business-wise? <laughs> yeah, business. That's what I mean, business-wise, man. Business-wise. Okay, well, it's probably starting my family vlog channel. No, I'm kidding. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I think that next year... I mean, I think we're both excited, really excited for the future of Team G Studios. Like, it feels like we have an incredible team now and an incredible infrastructure. And we're kind of like all systems go. Let's, let's have a great year and let's scale it as much as we can. So I think we're pumped for that. Yeah. I think the studios next year is, is got a lot, um, 
we've ironed out a lot in the way of process. Um, yeah, infrastructure, like Cody said, also our team has just gotten really strong. Uh, they've they bond well with each other. So it's all kind of um, like primed for us to really, uh, yeah, scale and um, even kind of accomplish some some more creative tasks. Um, yeah, so definitely the, the studio's network. And then individually, we're always working on like individual projects that, uh, you know, every year I think we always try to bring something new to what we do just to keep it exciting. Awesome. Last question, and I'll let you guys go. Uh, this is my one of my favorites in the hot seat. If you could have dinner with any entrepreneur, dead or alive, who would it be and why? I would say right now, I would say I'm pretty inspired by this guy, Jesse Itzler. Um, he's, I do a lot of endurance sports, so he, he's like a crazy endurance athlete. He uses like ultra marathons, and then he's also built like a number of successful businesses, and I feel like he's a pretty inspiring dude. Um, so I would say I would want to pick his brain. I feel like we have a lot in common. So, yeah. For me, I think it's this like artist turn entrepreneur, La Russell. Um, he is a super interesting guy in terms of like going from an artist to like building a business and literally building it with his family. Um, I think I just love how uh, like uh, people know him for his positivity, but I mean that guy does not accept the phrase "can't do." Like I, I just really. Um, uh, I really like his story is so motivating for me as far as taking, you know, this individual desire he had and growing it into this really amazing uh, system that he's worked out. Um, and that, you know, benefits a lot of people, you know, strangers and people close to him alike. So. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thanks for sharing boys. I have to say yeah. we'll wrap there. That was, that was probably one of the funnest interviews I've ever done. Uh, I've, been, I've interviewed a oh, lot yeah. of people. Like next I'm interviewing <laughs> the founder of Allbirds, NASDAQ listed Look. company. Um, <laughs> and I interview a lot of serious next level founders, you know, billionaires, multi-billionaires. Like, like, but that was really cool. So thank you. That was awesome. Of course. Thank you, man. Thanks for having us. Hey guys, I hope you enjoyed this interview as you might already know, our mission at Founder is to help tens of millions of people every single week with our content either start or grow their business, which is exactly why we're partnering with world-class founders such as Damon John, Alexa Von Tobel, Greta Van Riel, and so many more to teach crucial skills such as negotiation, finance, e-commerce, and so much more. So if you'd like to get access to these free exclusive trainings, please go to founder.com forward slash free. These are 100%. We go super in depth on teaching a particular topic, and I know that you're going to love them if you enjoy this podcast. So just go to founder.com forward slash free. All right, guys, I'll see you in the next episode.